0: The following is audio from the Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about the Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Thank you for laboring with us today. How many of you? always have to look at a calendar to remember which is labor day and which is memorial day yeah every year every year yeah it's a rough one. Oh, this is this is exciting on on uh, long weekends i always expect there to be a, uh you know a more intimate group of us so it's it's wonderful to have everyone shoulder to shoulder today um, i'm going to begin just offering a prayer of confession uh, from my heart and the heart of this church to god and and want to invite you to do that as well i'll give you some time right after i pray uh, to spend time uh, offering your own confession to god it's so important to come uh, good in that way of uh, that we find freedom when we find that we can come to god and actually like give him what's going on in our hearts we don't have to hide from him like like people have done ever since Adam and Eve, just hiding from God, not knowing they can actually just turn to him and confess their sins, so i 'm going to confess for us as a church and uh, and then invite you to do that yourself. Father God, we have not loved you first, we have willingly and the times unwittingly allowed ourselves to be so confused rather than listening to your words and responding in obedience to them we take the advice of so many just to look within and try to find some good in us or seek our, our own self-fulfillment in some way that we can do on our own apart from you but we know we cannot So gotta pray that you will purify our hearts right now, that we can fill them with your word, your truth, with Jesus himself. That we want that more than anything. That reading your word, we don't doubt that you want us tremendously. <laughs> And it's often us that lack in the wanting department. Uh, We don't want you enough. We don't seek first the kingdom. Help us do that. Give us the strength of your spirit to do that, we pray. In Jesus' name. And I just want to invite you for uh, half a minute or so just to offer your own confession to God before we begin. Jesus, we still hear your words to come to you, to come to you for our rest, (laughs) to believe your words and your words are life, that if we know you, we know the Father, Mm -hmm. so we come now to you, trusting, throwing ourselves on your mercy, knowing that you are love. And that you love to forgive and restore us completely, we thank you so much, Amen. So, Refuge, we just did sixteen weeks looking at prayer, um, and we are starting a new series that will take us until Advent, which is uh, if you go to Costco, you can tell it's right around the corner. Um, but we're, we're going to have about ten weeks. Looking at a series called "The Kingdom," and in the heart behind this series is wanting us as a church and each of you personally to understand the the, the real context for your life. So there's a lot of context that are being offered to you, uh, you know, probably from the own dialogue going on within your head and your heart, from the news, from whether you go to school or your work. There's all these contexts within which. You can live out your story, live out your life. But the kingdom of God is the reality above and beyond every other reality. So much so, and we're going to talk about this at the end, that even if you don't believe it, it is the reality. This is the thing that does not change. This is the solid thing in a world where everything seems to be shifting. The kingdom of god and so so we're going to dive into it today we're going to look at the king coming um, but this is the intro for our that we will be reading every week as i go back and forth with jake and ibrahim you were made to be part of something bigger than yourself something bigger than any job or hobby or political party even your own family god made you first and foremost to be a part of his family and his kingdom. God's kingdom is your ultimate allegiance. When you understand the good news of the kingdom and become a child of God, everything else finds its right and healthy place in your life. I'm going to read that again. That's really good. When you understand the good news of the kingdom and become a child of God, everything else finds its right and healthy place in your life. In this sermon Series, we invite you to see the kingdom of God and submit yourselves completely to the life-giving authority of King Jesus. Oh, that's awesome. It just went into a song. Maybe we should sing it. (laughs) (laughs) Submitting ourselves to the life-giving authority of Jesus. King Jesus, the King has come. Well, um, At least in America, and I always know I'm speaking from my context here. Uh, The context of the culture I grew up in is naturally the way I think. Uh, But here in America, we are obsessed with royalty, even though we're famous for rebelling against it. If you've seen uh, Hamilton great musical, it it brings that to life. (laughs) This idea of we we love rebelling against royalty, but we cannot Mm -hmm. get enough of it also. When Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel got married, 29 million Americans watched the wedding. (laughs) 29 million Americans watched the wedding of the people we literally overthrew, right? And like tried to kick them out of our country, but we're just, we're obsessed with it so much. So listen to this. The TV show, Crown, which was a Netflix series, had the single highest total to date streaming ranking, with viewers watching 3.36 billion minutes of a show in one week. 3.36 billion minutes of this show in one week, from November 16th to November 22nd. We're obsessed with royalty, but we're also obsessed with make-believe royalty and I think one of the most humorous ways to see this is in, in our wedding ceremonies, right, where we make, kind of make believe on it for a day that we are somehow prince and princesses, right? We just go all out. The, the covenant you're making has nothing to do with dressing fancy. It has nothing to do with spending $50,000, but I'm grateful for those that hired my wife and can afford her, because <laughs> we couldn't have. It's, it's nice for an industry, but in terms of covenant making, you don't need to look like a prince and a princess. But that's what we do, because for that day, we and this is what people tell you, it's all about you. <laughs> that's what it means. And we see this come to life just a couple of days ago. Amazon Prime released Cinderella. Not that it hasn't been made before. This is the 10th Uh, theatrical production of Cinderella. But this one, in the words of the Kitsap Sun, this is literally the title of the article, A Strenuously Woke Take on the Cinderella Tale. This is the Kitsap Sun. A Strenuously Woke Take on the Cinderella Tale. Cinderella's defining declaration and her catchphrase is, I choose me. I choose me. And this moment of passion where, where the princess, well, the, the, well, right. this is our Cinderella story that anybody can be a princess, right? But this moment where she knows that she can be a princess and she looks the prince in, her, in his eyes and she goes like this and she goes, I choose me. And then they have this moment of tension but when they come back together, he looks her in the eye and he says, I choose me. Now we can guarantee that relationship is not going to last long. <laughs> right? <laughs> I've only been married, you know, two years, and I know that I literally have to choose Hannah every day over myself. That is marriage. That's, that's daily being that's minute-by-minute minute marriage is saying, "I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, I'm going And then enters parenting. You cannot choose you in parenting. Wow. But this is, this this theme of being true to yourself is royalty in our American culture. This modern take on royalty, we are not impressed by the power of others. We want our own power known. We We want our own praises sung. We are not interested in submitting to any other authority than our own. Instead of praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, we pray, kind of twisting it so it sounds right. May my kingdom come and may my will be done. Now, I understand, I share this. I want I to, to speak about this contextually because I understand I I speak about this in a way that it is easier for me to also give up authority. Now, there are people who have never had a sense of power in their life. And so this idea of having power is very... And that's the idea of being woke in a lot of ways. Well, while, while we can j- joke about it, right, in a context. There is a reality to desiring power. And, and power being a, a good and healthy thing also, right? The question is this... When we have power, whose hands is it ultimately in? And is it in the right hands? And will we do the right thing with it? But in our hearts, I feel more than anything, it is just a sense of rebellion. A rebellion that will ultimately lead to not only our rise, but will also lead to our demise. And we see this in kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. It doesn't have to be your own personal kingdom. There once was a time where the sun never set on the British Empire. Once upon a time, I think Canadians still claim them, but, but still, right? They're, they've lost so much of their, their grip. Their monarchy is, is more puppets than anything else, right? A time where Napoleon ruled much of the world, Alexander the Great seemed unbeatable. Genghis Khan had this horde that swept across most of Asia. There were tribal empires that spanned through our plains in the forests of this own country in South America, the Incas and the Aztecs, Once ruled, all these come and go. That's the reality of kingdoms. But what we're going to talk about today is, and it's, it's spoken of so beautifully in Hebrews 12, it says, there is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and a ruler whose power is without equal, without question, and without rival. This is the kingdom of God, and the king is Jesus. And that is the kingdom we're speaking about today. So this is the, con- I've talked about a lot of stuff. This is the context. The context for your life. Not one where you are the ultimate power. You are the ultimate authority. But one where Jesus is the ultimate power and the ultimate authority. And that is freedom. And that is good. <clears throat> I'm going to read a, a, kind of a long quote really quick. Attributed to Napoleon. And then we'll dive in. Now, Napoleon um, saw his empire rise and fall fairly quickly. He saw moments of incredible success followed by a quick demise. And he said this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love, and to this very day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature, and I'll tell you all these were men, and I am a man, but no one is like this man Jesus. Jesus was more than a man. I've inspired multitudes with such enthusiastic devotion they would have died for me. But Christ alone has succeeded in raising the mind of man towards the unseen. That that it became uh, insensible, uh, it, it became a... Uh, insensible barrier to time and space. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus makes a demand which is beyond others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which philosophers often seek in vain. He asks for the human heart and he will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally and his demand must be granted. It is wonderful. In defiance of time and space, the soul of man with all its power and faculties becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe in him experience that remarkable supernatural love towards him. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus wishes to annex your heart. (laughs) So, uh, what I think we'll find ourselves wrestling with in the next couple weeks is, how do we really let him do that? It's amazing with Jesus' power and Jesus' authority that we seem like we are such tough nuts to crack. (laughs) So, what we're going to ask today is, why did the king come? If his kingdom, as we're going to look at later, is not of this world, why did he come to this world and the big idea is simply this, the king has come with nothing to prove, but with something to do. Jesus has nothing to prove, but he's come with something to do, and that is your salvation. So I'm going to start by just telling a couple stories taken from the book of Daniel, and, and they, they take up two chapters, and so we're not going to read them in their entirety, but, um, but it's going to give you this scope kind of a history and how it all kind of focuses on Jesus. And, and uh, Daniel chapter 2 gives an incredible context for this. So, so Daniel, uh, who I was named after, uh, he was a, a prophet in the Old Testament. And he actually, the start of his story is him and, and his people getting crushed by, by a kingdom, the, the Persian kingdom comes in and absolutely wipes out Daniel, Jerusalem, and the whole area of Israel. They are just completely wiped out. And they are literally, Daniel is of nobility, but he is brought in chains to Babylon, the, which is the heart of the Persian empire. And, and he kind of works his way up and he, he becomes part of this group of wise men that consults the king. But imagine, he, he's this probably wealthy young man in his country, and then he's brought, literally humbled, and he then rises again to this place of authority. And then chapter 2 comes, and Nebuchadnezzar, which is the king, he has a dream. And this dream, it says, troubles him. I don't know if you've ever had one of those dreams that you wake up, and you're like, I don't know what to do. I just I, I, Does this mean something? And he was so troubled, he brought, it said, all his magicians and sorcerers, all these guys that, that tell him that they can do great things. And he says this to them. He goes, I want you not only to interpret my dream, but to tell me what my dream was. I'm not going to tell you what was going on in my head. If you're so smart, I want you to do that for me. And they say, you're asking something that no one can do. And he says, kill him. Right, that's a tough boss to work for. And... <laughs> And so they go, well, you know, they're just, they're they're as good as dead at this point. And so the guards literally come to kill Daniel. And he says, wait a minute, give me some time. I'm going to go back and I'm going to pray to my God. Like, I think my God can follow through on this. So he goes back and he prays. And God tells him the dream. And the cool thing is, instead of running to tell the king to save his own life, he stops and says he gives praise to the God of heaven. And he says this, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season. He deposes kings and he raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. And he goes on, he's like, he's like this is the context. Nebuchadnezzar could have killed me, but that didn't change who God was. So before he goes to Nebuchadnezzar, he just wants to praise the one who is king of kings and lord of lords. And so he goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar, this is, it's a really funny exchange because um, uh, he's, the king asks Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel leads off with this. Nobody can do that. Like, that's not a strong leadoff when you when you know that if you can't you're going to die but that's what he says he says nobody can do that what you've asked is too much but there is a god in heaven who reveals mysteries and he can do that and so then Daniel tells him his dream and interprets it and the dream goes something like this he goes in your dream you saw a large statue And there were different parts of it. There was a head made of gold, chest and arms made of silver, belly and thighs made of bronze, legs made of iron, and feet that were part iron and part clay. And and once you saw that statue, then you saw a huge rock that wasn't cut by anybody's hand, and it rolled down this mountain, and it smashed that statue. And then then the rock turned into a mountain, and that mountain became a kingdom that will never end. And the king is like, yeah, that's it. It's terrifying. I don't like rocks. And he goes, what, what is it? And, and, and this is what Daniel said. He goes, you are the head of gold. But then someone's going to come after you, and they're going to be that kingdom of silver. And then after you, there's going to be that, that next kingdom, and that next kingdom, of bronze, and then iron. And then it's going to be so fragile. There's going to be clay. But then, then God is going to set up a kingdom that's going to demolish all those kingdoms, and it's going to be a forever kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar, he praises the God in heaven. He praises him as the God of gods and as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. And that was a title that he had taken on himself, the King of kings. And he goes, no, he is the King of kings. So the message simply is here is there is a kingdom coming that is unshakable, that will have no end. And... Nebuchadnezzar, you can choose to live in that reality or you cannot, but that reality doesn't change. That rock is going to smash the statue. And I, I want this to be kind of a refrain today. It doesn't, your belief does not change reality. Your faith does not change reality. It can come super close or actually affirm what reality is, you can also choose to believe a complete lie. Reality is out there. And this is what Daniel's presenting. him. that's why he didn't fear when he was like, honestly, no, none of us can tell you what the dream is. But, But God can tell you what the dream is. And this is what the dream is. And it will happen whether or not you like that, Nebuchadnezzar. See, the kingdom of God is the reality whether or not you like it. Jesus is king and ultimate authority whether or not you like that. Whether or not you like his rule, and that's why it is so stupid when people are like, "Well, my God wouldn't." And you're like, "I oh, don't okay. Your God wouldn't." <laughs> but, but the God who is reality and creates everything it, your opinion doesn't matter, other than you agreeing with the reality he's made. This is so important, guys, because freedom comes by going, "Man, I see it, I see you, and I'll worship you." And this doesn't happen in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Two chapters later, this is fascinating. Two chapters later, Nebuchadnezzar has totally forgotten his dream. Like, he probably woke up, and he went out and went, like, pigeon shooting, and he's, like, done, and he's like, I'm good. And he just kept living his life. I don't know if they had pigeons back then. Whatever they had, he probably just kept going, right? Because chapter 3, honestly, he just tries to burn some people in an oven. It's horrible. He's just a bad man. Okay, but we get to chapter 4 of Daniel, and, and he has another dream. And you can tell God's just showing mercy on him, like trying to win him, right? Like he's like, man, I want to show you what's going to happen. And in this dream, he gets told uh, that if he does not humble himself, then he will become like a beast of the field. Now, if there's something that like would turn your life around, it's losing your mind. Right? That is terrifying. I'm not, I'm not making a joke about it. It is literally terrifying, the thought of losing your mind. And that's what, he, that's what he's told. If you continue in your pride, you will lose your mind. And so Nebuchadnezzar, one day, he receives that from Daniel. He's like, okay, thank you for telling me. And he goes up, and he's seeing his kingdom, and he goes, look what my hands have made. I have done this. And in that instant, he becomes, in his thinking, like a beast of the field. Now, at the end of this time, he humbles himself, and I just want to read to you uh, the end of this because it is so accurate. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, mind you, this is helpful to, to consider because you know how you get so focused on you, you know, just like I get so focused on me, like, and you just think you're super important, you know, right? Am I getting a little too close? to your heart right now, right? But we'd be like, we just make everything about us, right? It was like, Ugh. and that's all we can think about is like what we're doing and, okay, that's you. Think of Nebuchadnezzar who literally rules millions of people. Like I have a modicum of power, right? I run the coffee oasis. I could literally walk into any coffee oasis and go behind the bar and just start making drinks. And if they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I run the place, right? Like I could do that. I shouldn't, that would be an abuse of power But I could, right? This guy literally, for millions of people, could walk in their house and they're like, What are you doing? And he's like, I own the place, right? Like, this guy has uber power, more than you ever could dream of having. And he is feared. That goes to your head, okay? So it goes to his head so much that he just keeps forgetting about the one who is ultimately in authority, God. And so, so at the end of this time, after God has so humbled him that he no longer has his mental faculty, this is what happens. This is Daniel four thirty four. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. That's all it took. He just had to raise his eyes towards heaven. And he said, I praised the Most High and honored him. Listen to what he says. God's dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, What have you done? Now, that's just a different context for our lives. We, as a culture, spend a lot of our time looking at God and going, What have you done? What have you done? What, as if if God has to answer to us? Now that's insanity. What is sane is understanding God's authority. This is why the Servant Series is such a good context, because I realize what I'm saying is not the context that probably all of us are living in, right? We get so, like, we get so good at just going, God, I don't know if you're worth me believing in. (laughs) That's crazy. God's going, I have so loved you that I have saved you. Whether or not you believe in me, I'm God. That's the position of God, right? Are you going to choose to go, man, God, I don't understand. I don't get it, but I'm going to choose to trust you. Because I realize this is temporary. These kingdoms of gold, of silver, of bronze, of iron, of iron clay are just smashed. My kingdom, my little, you know, how many years? I'm 30, I don't know, I think I'm 36 now. You lose track, right, once you pass 30. You're like, I think I'm still 28. Um, right? Whether God gives me another year or 30 years or 40 years, however long that is, that is a little kingdom. And, and my little life, just as much as the Incas and the Aztecs, the Mongolians, all these empires, just as much as those, we are but a small postage stamp on the map of history. That is all we are. But the context above and beyond all that is God's kingdom, is, is God, and, and it will restore our sanity. The context of history we live in right now, that we live and breathe right now, if we would raise our eyes towards heaven and say this, your dominion is an eternal dominion. Your kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are counted as nothing. He does as He pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth. No one can hold back your hand, God. No one can say to you, What have you done? That's a better, that's it. That restores our sanity rather than imagining that a political party has ultimate power or rather than imagining that things are so out of control that God no longer has dominion and authority. How do we embrace that? That is faith. And you might right now go, man, my faith's really little. (laughs) So that that is the context of the Old Testament leading to when the one who has dominion and authority is king over all things comes. And that is what we find in the arrival of Jesus, foretold in Isaiah 9, who's speaking after Daniel. and Isaiah, he says this. He says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. His kingdom will have no end. That, That is the child that comes. That is the one that comes. That is the king that comes as we enter into the Gospels. Now, the kingdom is a big deal. In the Gospels, 130 times in the Gospels, it uses this word kingdom. And there are, we're just going to really quickly go through a couple markers in the life of this king. The first being a manger-born king, and then a donkey-riding king. It's a true story. And then an otherworldly king. In Matthew 22, the wise men, when they come... And they talk to Herod first, and and they say, "Where is the one who is born the King of the Jews?" That's the one in the manger. When they go find Jesus, and they give him gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they're giving it in honor of a king. This king that is a baby, this king that will come and save the world. What is the meaning of a manger-born king? It means that God has nothing to prove. Jesus doesn't have to, this is so important. And again, think about this in terms of we don't define reality. Jesus didn't have to be born in a palace to be a king. He was the king. He was born the king of the Jews. He was born the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The one in the manger, helpless, is the king. He did not have to impress anybody. How do we get power on earth? Popularity? Some form of our own power creation, whether that's more money or more people that follow us or whatever it is. This is how we get power. Jesus had it. He was the king of kings. He had no one to impress. And that shows up again in this donkey-riding king. What is the point of a subpar thrown-together parade with Jesus riding a donkey? It's him, again, simply showing he had nothing to prove, no one to impress. He didn't have to get anybody's approval, but he was going to give people the opportunity to participate. Everybody could. And I love that story about the riding donkey because it could be the poor person in the gutter who celebrated Jesus. And they were probably the first ones to start celebrating him, right? It was the king of kings and the Lord of lords come to all people. This otherworldly king. And we see this ultimately in John 18 in this exchange with Pilate. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus' death, he stands before someone with anointed with the power of Rome, Pilate. Now, Pilate had everything that we kind of really would want Jesus to have if he was going to be you know, our real king, like a real go-getter. That would have been Pilate, right? Pilate, who simply was blessed, probably with a great family heritage, and then he'd been like, like you know, probably had some nice clothes, and he probably had a lot of soldiers. And then he, Jesus stands before Pilate, and, and you know what happens? Pilate says, hey, I hear you're a king. And as Jesus, Jesus goes, oh, is that what they're telling you? No, he literally, he goes, he goes, are you saying that? And Pilate has no idea what to do. This guy kind of like is talking with him. (laughs) And Jesus responds this way. 36, 1836, book of John. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then. Pilate said, Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You hear, you hear what he's saying there? What he's going is, Pilate, I don't need you to affirm my kingship. I'm just here telling the truth. <laughs> he goes, I don't need king. I don't need, I don't need Pilate. I don't need Caesar. I don't need the Jewish people. Jesus is, like, he goes, the truth is I am king. And my kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus is saying, again, is he has nothing to prove. And yet he will show us the way, and the way ultimately is by letting go of all these ways we try to attain power and authority on earth. And that's what we see in this wrap-up of Philippians 2. If you just want to see the summary of Jesus' life and ministry, go to Philippians 2. Where Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. But, but as he was humbled and he submitted himself to death, this is what it says. It says, there's coming a day when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess. Will confess that he is Lord. He did not need the approval of Pilate. He did not need the approval of Caesar. And he for sure does not need your approval. Glory, hallelujah. And that's why, guys, this is good. I want you to think about this. I want you just to cherish this thought. When you come on a a Sunday morning and we're singing, and we sing, he is exalted, the king is exalted on high. The invitation is to participate. Participate. The invitation is to participate because he is already king. Now, you can miss out on that participation. You mean like, honestly, I wish there was an electric guitar and some drums, and then i really think he was exalted. Right? And when we do that, right, it's crazy. We're like, well, there was a smoke machine. I'd really feel the presence. Right? It's, it's that idea as if, like, at some point when we feel something, then God gets glory. <laughs> Jesus is on the throne, and you get to participate in worshiping him and centering your life on him, or you get to miss out. That's the two options we have. You get to spend your life in indecision, going, is he really worth it? And and living in such a way where your life isn't living worthy of him. Or you can go, he is worth it, and I'm going to live my whole life. I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. It's Jesus that lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God that loved me, and that gave himself for me. And that is a life worthy of Jesus. Because he showed us that way. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I'm going to give my life, and by giving my life, I will live. And that's the invitation for Christians. I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to throw that life away, so I can just have Jesus And that is a reality. That is is the reality that does not end when death comes. Because the kingship of Jesus is not just over here and now. He doesn't have to overthrow political parties. He doesn't have to do anything. Jesus is king. And if we submit our lives to him now, our hearts to him now, you will be spiritually undefeatable. And that's spiritual, and we're going to get into this. What is the character about that undefeatable nature of those who come under the authority of Jesus? It's the character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's the kingdom of Jesus coming when we submit to his authority. Do you want that? This is your ruler. And the question simply is this, will you bow to him or not? Will you submit your life to Jesus Jesus is not changed by your believing. You are changed by your believing. That's good news. So how do we respond? Our response is simply putting our ultimate allegiance in Jesus. My the question I want you to consider this week is what am I trying to prove with my life? Who am I trying to prove something to? And Because the answer is this. The answer to what you should be doing is just stop. Stop trying to prove anything. All we have, and we're going to get into this, and in, I just am excited for this whole sermon series because literally we are inheritors of the kingdom and we don't have to do any we don't have to prove anything for that when we come and we give jesus our ultimate allegiance, this is what god says he goes everything jesus jesus is yours <laughs> that's just the way it works here you don't have to prove anything no more than the prodigal son had to prove that he loved the father when he came back the father just wanted him back are you living in that reality or are you trying to prove something or gain popularity you're right? like <laughs> what are you trying to do or are you trying to to either gain power or promote power through the means of your work or i keep mentioning politics because guys it is just a mess it is a mess out there what we're trying to do or and i'm not saying politics is unimportant it's important how we run a nation it's important how we treat people Laws are important. But our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. That's where our ultimate... Because your peace will only be disrupted if your allegiance is to politics first. I've seen a lot of disrupted peace. Because, guys, this is the reality, and this is probably what we should take out of the the film here. But um, is that America probably has its rise and fall I, I love America I love the country I live in I, I really enjoy it actually I'm, when I leave I can't wait to come back <laughs> but, but like any other superpower it rises and it falls I don't know that timeline now I, I want us to be a nation that is all that there were some guys who wrote some stuff about people being created equal in the eyes of God and man I, I support that right but guys, as we can look at these different important things, also, let me just talk personally. Marriage. If my ultimate allegiance is Hannah, I'm actually not gonna love her super well. I'm actually probably gonna get possessive, and you know, if, if my ultimate allegiance is Jesus, he will give me the strength, humility, and faithfulness to love Hannah well. I'm gonna be a bad parent if I make Elliot, who's absolutely adorable, wearing Carhartt overalls today, if I make him the ultimate object of my affection, right? If, if, I, if I'm going to honestly try to probably shape him and warp him and make him my idol, right? And, and parents do that, right? I can't do that. If I if my reality is built based on King Jesus and His kingdom, and I'm raising Elliot to honor and love Jesus, and to to honor Jesus even more than he does me, then he'll honor me, right? And that's, that's where we go back to this, this opening line. When you understand the good news of the kingdom and become a child of God, everything else finds its right and healthy place in your life. Everything else. Is this the context of your life? Is the context Jesus invites you into when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. How in the world can you give us rest in this world? How can you give us rest? Because Jesus is the king. Amen. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to take communion together. And I invite you as you take communion to uh, pledge your allegiance to Jesus by doing that. That literally is what we do when we take it. And we remember, uh, I was talking to Zach this week, it was great. and Zach was like, man, it's a cel- I see it as a celebration, and it truly is that. Sometimes there's a soberness of our hearts because we have just a ton of stuff to confess when we come to communion. Sometimes we're like, man, I just, man, I love you, Jesus, and I'm just celebrating, you know, and I, I want you as you take communion today, and I actually don't see anybody going back to get it, so we might not, okay, we got it. Uh, I was going to say, just take some coffee back there, Take it for communion. Suck <laughs> like in a tea bag and get some coffee. Be a new form of communion. <laughs> uh, as you take it, I pledge your allegiance to Jesus. Go, man, Jesus, I have, I've made so many other things my Lord, and I want you to be my Lord. I put my faith in you. Let me pray for us. God, my heart feels strengthened by being able to preach this word, your word, today. And I feel like my mind is getting transformed, getting restored while I talk. And that's important uh, because my mind can be so distracted. It's distracted and it can just focus on, man, there's stuff here. And yet when I look at you, you're the one that gives me a heart for my neighbor my wife. You're the one that gives me a heart for this church. I will never lose love by giving all my love to you. I'll have more to give. I'll never really lose myself. I'll find myself. (laughs) Give it all to you and I'll not lose my home. I'll find my home. I know when I find my home with you. God, I pray, I pray that you will so Open again right now by your spirit the invitation to come and put all our trust in you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.